uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Hey, thanks for joining us here at Faith in Your Recovery. You just heard I'm Randy Davis, and we're glad you're with us. And before you get done with today's uh today's interview, listening to it, make sure you like it, you subscribe, and then get it shared. We want folks to get the word, not just that recovery is possible, but we have some avenues to make it happen. We're going to do that today through Mr. Daniel Baker from over in the Marion area. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you. Hey, good to have you with us. Thanks for coming along and bringing your friend Adam, all right? Good to, ha- good to be here. Well, it's a neat thing to have you. So let's go back. I don't know your story Tell us your story, your battle, your struggle, and then we're going to move it on up to the good part, to the victory side. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, yeah, so I started off uh, about like a lot of people in a broken home. Mom and dad uh, would beat each other. They would cheat on each other. They would lie to each other. They would steal from each other. And then at the end of the day, they would tell each other that they loved each other. And so on like a subconscious level, in my mind, I believed that was love. Now, I wouldn't admit that that was love, but my actions would show that if I loved you, I did those things to you. And so I went down a a rough path of just being an angry individual. Now, when I was seven years old, I was uh, I was baptized. Uh, It didn't it didn't hold any meaning to me because I got baptized for wanting to fit in. That was where my heart was. It wasn't because I believed in Jesus or because I I I knew that I was a sinful person and I wanted to to be different. Um, and it was so, more emotional than spiritual. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, shortly after a, a baptism, I had been I'd been molested, and uh, I remember being told in church that God would never leave me nor forsake me. And here I was in a situation where I felt all alone and afraid. Now, as I told my mother what had happened, see, my mother, and my my father, they had gotten divorced. And then my mother got uh, uh, with a, with another man named Anthony, who I now call my dad. Um, and so when I was staying with my dad was when I had gotten molested and, and, and my biological dad. And he had I told him uh, the next day, and he had told me that I was a liar. And then when I told my mom, she just kind of broke down and cried. My sister broke down and cried. My, my stepdad didn't know what to do. And so it was like they had all, like, pushed themselves away from me. And in this situation where I felt, I felt like, man, I'm, I'm all alone. Like, what do I do here? And, and it just hit me like, okay, well, there must not be a God. You know, one of those traumatizing experiences where we just, we get to that point to where it's like, okay, God, you can't be real if this has happened. I was told you, you let this be. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, uh, that had taken place and I walked away from God. And from that day, I, I just became an atheist in my own ways. Now, later on, I found out that uh, the reason why everybody pulled away was because this was a generational curse in my family. Everybody had been molested. There wasn't a female in my family that hasn't been molested. Most of the men have been molested. And, and, and so everybody in the situation had been molested and they never dealt with their emotions. And when I came out about it, it was like ripping off a Band-Aid to oh, a wound my. that was still bleeding. That's a sad state of affairs, but it 
became an accepted behavior almost. Yes. Uh, or at least an expected behavior. Yes. And you had to deal with the anxieties of all of that, the the people turning their back on you, your own confusion. Absolutely. I, I can't imagine. You were about how old at I that was, time? I uh, was seven years old at that age. Okay. okay. Yeah. So uh, moving forward, I had actually blacked all that out uh, for many years. And uh, uh, moving forward, I just became a very angry individual, very unforgiving, very resentful. Um, moving in through teenage years, I, I, I began selling drugs. I had this idea in my mind that my purpose was to sell drugs because growing up, my, my biological dad sold drugs. My uh, biological grandfather sold uh, uh, drugs. He would run drugs through um, um, on his on his trailer, he ran semis across the United States. And so I had this this idea in my mind that that was my purpose. My purpose was to sell drugs and be this big, violent drug dealer. And so that's what I began doing. I began being violent and trying to control people through fear, just all the way demonic. That became the norm for you. It's what you had seen. It's what you had lived with. Again, an expected behavior. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, throughout this, I was 16, 17, moving into 18. I started getting, hearing voices and I now look back and I realize they were voices. Um, at the time I just thought they were my own thoughts, but they were very intrusive thoughts, thoughts that would tell me to kill myself, that I wasn't worthy. I was worthless, uh, that I'd always be just like my biological father. I would never be anything better. Um, uh, voices like that uh, and voices that would tell me that I had to, I had to do crazy things to people like be physically violent towards them and hurt them. And I eventually had gotten married and it was a very abusive relationship. I was 19 years old. Uh, the woman was almost 10 years older than me and, um, we were both atheists. Uh, I sold drugs. She helped sell drugs for me. Uh, we got to be very physically violent towards each other. We would beat each other up. We would cheat on each other. We would lie to each other. We would steal from each other. And and at the end of the day, we told each other that we loved each other. Uh, just repeated very, behavior. Repeated behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I had I had went to jail for uh, a domestic violence. Um, and that was kind of when when everything started to turn for me. Yeah. Um, do you want me to keep going farther? Uh, go ahead. What do you mean by turn? Yeah. Uh, you've, you've painted the picture of the struggle and done a good job. Thank mm, you. Appreciate yeah. that, uh, that honesty and rawness. What do you mean by that's where things started to turn? Yeah. So I remember I was in uh, Grant County Jail. 4B. And I was in this situation where like the right hand man had been stealing from me. The the current wife at the time had been constantly sleeping around on me. Uh, I I'd cut all ties from any blood relatives. Um, and it seemed like everything was just falling apart and, apart and crumbling. Like this small empire that I had I had built with my own hands was just getting taken away in a matter of a few weeks. And so I was in I was on the top bunk. And in my mind, I remember telling myself, I'm, I'm afraid and realizing that I'm all alone. And I had gotten a Bible and I remember telling myself, like, this is the last thing that I need right now. And I chuckled in my mind as I said it to myself and I slipped my hand in the Bible. I was like, all right, well, God, if you're there, now's your chance. Like giving God the ultimatum or something. And 
uh, I slipped my hand in the Bible and kind of like drifted off for a second. When I came to, I opened the Bible and I started reading a story about a man named Samson and Delilah. Uh, uh, yeah. How he uh, he married an unfaithful woman. And when he found out that she was unfaithful, he just lost it and became violent, set 300 foxes on fire. And it was like that was that was where I was at in life. Like I had married an unfaithful woman, realizing this, uh, catching her in adultery, and I just lost it and got all violent. And that's specifically why I was in jail at that time, because I got violent over a situation like that. And so it was like, wow. Well, that's a coincidence to me then. And so I kept reading. I read the next story, and the next story was about a man named Micah and the false idol. And my sister's name is Micah, and at the time she was idolizing a man and, and losing everything because of it. And so it was like, wow, God, he just revealed himself to me. He showed me that he had never left me nor forsaken me. And, and here's the interesting thing is the part that I had walked away from God spiritually, he brought me right back to that part spiritually. I left when I was alone and afraid. He brought me back when I was alone and afraid. So it's like he brought me directly back to the same spot I left him to show me that he never left me, nor has he ever forsaken me. He was there throughout the entire time. So that's that's really just the tip of the iceberg. This that's where things started to turn. So I would I would I was no longer an atheist. Hold on just a second yes. here, all right? Take a breath. <laughs> you made a comment a little bit ago how you got up on the top bunk, yes? Four mm-hmm. B yes. was your cell and Whatever, you know, your yes. bed, I guess. Uh, and you said for the first time you were afraid. Yes. And to me, that just, that honesty of recognizing that, moving beyond any kind of denial as Mr. Tough Guy, mm. kick your tail any way I can, kind of living, you opened yourself up to receive. You made an a void in your life that allowed God to move into it. And you go ahead and tell us the story there. But now, yeah. go ahead and move forward. Yeah. Liking uh, it. Yeah. So, so I ended up, I ended up getting out and I was telling everybody that the God is real. Now, now there's a difference between knowing and believing here. And, and at the time I knew that there were, God was real. I did not believe in him. I didn't believe in Jesus Christ, but I, I could no longer deny God's existence. And I was telling everybody, testifying with my mouth what God had been doing. And so I, I, I gotten out and I went right back to what I, I knew how to do, which is just being violent and selling drugs. And I ended up going to jail and getting out and going to jail. I did a nine month bid and I really started buckling down into the word. And uh, by the time I got out, it was like I was sober for a while. And there, and there was this, there was this ministry called Churches Embracing Offenders. Churches and, Embracing Offenders. Yes. Yeah. And, and what they would do is they would get, uh, they would get those of us that are incarcerated connected to a church before they get out of out of jail. And so when we got out of jail, we had a church home to go to and people, a spiritual family to help nourish us. How important is that? No, absolutely. Uh, it's so important. You know, we can, and I'm not saying yours was, but we get jailhouse religion. We get sincere religion. First church we go to, and we're not as welcome there as we thought mm. we might be sometimes. And why not turn back to where you were if God's peace? God's yeah. people aren't going to accept you. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so this was a, this is a Wesleyan church, which I'm, I'm non-denominational, but this specific church was a Wesleyan church. It was East Wesleyan out of Gas City, Indiana. 
and uh, uh, Pastor Mark Atkinson and a few other people, uh, there was a man named William that started discipling me. And even though I was young and just just absolutely full of myself, this guy was uh, uh, just full of the Holy Spirit. And so when I was hungry, they fed me. When I, when I had no place to go, they literally let me stay inside the church building. And when I went back to jail, they came and visited me. The, all those things that Jesus said, the one that you did I've the least. I've read that somewhere. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Jesus said, the one that you did least uh, uh, of this too, you've done to me. And they did all those things. They really showed me the love of Christ. And so, but I, I did end up going back to my old ways again. It was like God was had me in this season where he was trying to wake me up. And you know, when we're real tired and somebody wakes us up and we just kind of roll back over and go back to sleep. That's kind of where I was at in my life, where God was just sitting there trying to shake and wake me up every so often. Wake up. It's time for you to wake up. You've been asleep. And uh, I, I go back to, uh, at this point in time, I'd went through a divorce uh, with, the, with the ex-wife, specifically for adultery. Um, I just knew that the path that God had, had, had been having me on was completely separate from that path. And so I started to separate myself from it. Um, I went to a jail for the last time uh, for an invasion of privacy, me and the ex-wife had been around each other, and the court had had no contact order on us, and, and we had gotten caught together. Uh, at, at that point, my lowest point, I was uh, I was on the streets. I was homeless. I was no longer selling drugs. You were I was, how old? I, at that point in time, I was 21. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, 20, 27 now. Um, I, was, I was shooting up drugs, uh, just... I about hit every single vein in both my arms the last day that I was out trying to kill myself, more or less. Um, About everything, anything you could stick in a needle, I was shooting up. I don't want to glorify drugs too much here. No, I got you. Um, I had went to jail, and that time it was like, God, what, what do I do here? And after about six months, there was um, there was a there was a moment where the mental withdrawals had left um but the spiritual withdrawals from the drugs stayed and it seemed like mentally things got so much more worse i've got to a point to where i was hearing voices audibly seeing things that were not there uh diagnosed they tried to diagnose me as uh, schizophrenic uh bipolar i had depression i had severe anxiety uh disorder um, I had all these mental illnesses that they had diagnosed me with, um, and and they had, they had tried to prescribe me medications for all those mental illnesses, and it was like, it was like the medications worked for a season, short period of time, and then they didn't, and then it was like they would double the doses, and the do- doubling the doses would work for a little bit, and then they didn't, so then they would change the medication, changing the medication would work for a little bit, but then it didn't. It was like it would silence the demons just long enough for them to, to, to bring more in. And then my problem was much worse than what it ever started with. And they say that there's no cure for schizophrenia. And so, um, but this, this season I was in jail and I, and I kept going through these, these stages where I was listening to these demons. I now recognize them as demons. At the time I had no clue what was going on. Um, 
I ended up getting sentenced. And, and, and here's, here's how God works is I had uh, over 20 years that I, w- I could have been facing had I taken everything to trial and they had gotten me guilty on all those things. And I had an amazing attorney who was uh, really a paid inter- attorney, but I never paid him anything. He was just a man of God that knew that God had a plan for my life and just loved on me and decided he was going to represent me free of charge, which was That's which was incredible. Am- that amazing. doesn't happen a lot. No, it doesn't. <laughs> So I end up going to um, end up going to prison. Uh, shortly before going to prison, this is just I was still on a path of violence, and they had taken me. They taken me out of the usual dorm, completely took everybody out of a dorm, and made that dorm a special dorm for people like me, where it was a twenty-three hour lockdown dorm, and they had me and a bunch of other people in there that was in there for murder. And so, like, I'm in this. I'm in this. <laughs> Aaron, and I'm getting along with these guys. It's not like it's not out of my normal to be around a bunch of murderers that seem to be violent, but they're really not. And I, I ended up going to prison. Uh, went down to Branchville uh, prison down at the southern tip of Indiana. It's like the farthest prison away from anything. And I was there. I had gotten into a fight uh, the first week that I was there. And I, I'd been getting to a point in my walk where it was like, I'm so tired of using my fist to solve my problems. I'm tired of fighting. I'm just tired of being violent. And God knew it. I kept crying out to him through these situations. I got in this fight with this guy. He's a tall, slender guy, about like Adam over here. And uh, I, I started piecing him up pretty good. And I thought, well, this is going to be an easy one. And the guy, had, the guy had tempted me three times to fight him. And in the, in the third time I was finally like, okay, all right, let's go. And, uh, in the middle of the fight, I remember, I remember my heart just breaking and, uh, I threw my hands up and it's like, I just can't do this no more. And so, uh, when it was all said and done, I found myself balled up on the ground. This guy smashing my face and my blood everywhere. There was a dude naked like two feet away from me in the shower just acting like nothing was going on as my face is getting smashed in. And I, I started to cry out to God in my spirit. And it was like, God, please help me. And not out of the fight. I'd been in plenty of fights. That wasn't my issue at the time. It was more like, God, help me out of this insanity. Like This I can't, lifestyle. Absolutely. That broken, contrite heart. That step, that step one and two, as we talk about in the 12 steps, where it's like just crying out to the God from an honest heart. And uh, somebody came and pulled the guy off me. I cleaned myself up, uh, went back to my bunk. And I remember I was reading a, a Jesus Calling book, and I started crying out to God. He had given me two revelations, uh, one a year prior to this when I was out from doing the nine months, and it was that I had never been taught how to love. The love that I had been taught was toxic love. It was a bunch of lies. Like a lot of us, we've not been taught how to love. Uh, genuine love comes from Jesus Christ and God, and if we don't have that in our hearts, how can we love? It's it's a one-way ticket, you know. It's a, a conditional love, um, and so this the revelation that he gave me that day though was a lot deeper than that. He's like, I'm the biggest liar I had ever known, and for the longest time, I did not know it. I lied to myself and other people. I lied to myself so much that I lost myself along the way. Here is one of the biggest lies that I told myself uh, when traumatic things would happen to me from the time of seven and up. This is really where I started to go off the rail. I would tell myself, it's okay. Something bad would happen, and I would say, it's okay. And so after lying to myself so much, it's like I created this 
reality that I wanted to live in just to be able to cope with the traumatic experiences that I've been through, which I think is what happens to a lot of us in recovery is we, we end up lying to ourselves so much that we, we forget who we are in the first place and we're all over the place. We forget what the truth was. We forget the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so God spoke to me through that Jesus call when I was reading and it said, uh, it said, rest your eyes on my face, the lover of your soul. And that hit me. I was like, okay, so your face is Jesus. That's who you chose to show yourself through the world as. And so I started reading about Jesus. And uh, about a month into it, I got selfish. I was like, God, that's great and all, but how's that going to help me? Like, what, how, what is going on here? I still had all these evil spirits in my head. I could, I could hear the demons when they would whisper to me and, and try to command me to do things. And so I hadn't yet discerned God's voice. Well, there was a voice that had spoken to me a month after being in prison. And the voice said to me, and it was like when this voice spoke, all the other voices stopped talking. They were quiet. And there was like absolutely silence. And this voice said, rest your eyes on me, the lover of your soul, and watch me as I transform your transgressions into a transparent child of mine. And I heard this up here, and I thought for sure, I was like, well, there's a schizophrenia coming at me again or something. Another voice. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, but it's like, okay, okay, uh, this doesn't sound like all the other ones. And so he said he was going to uh, transform me using my transgressions. He was going to turn me into an, an honest child of God using my sinful nature. Now, now get this. So I'm in prison for a, a several months at this point in time, and God has done a lot of things throughout this time. He He verified His voice to me. Uh, I heard His voice audibly one time. I'd gotten into a second time. I had uh, I had used my fist out of just pure reflex. I'd been in enough fights to where when I seen somebody's shoulders urge back, I knew they was going for a swing, and my body's natural reflex was to just hit them. And uh, I was in the kitchen. There was a guy that was uh, bullying people. So there was blacks and whites, and, and it's the dorms are predominantly white. In the kitchen, it was predominantly black. And so there was a lot of racial wars going on there. So if you was white in the kitchen, it wasn't good. If you was black and in the dorms, it wasn't good. So the whites would suppress the blacks in the dorms, and then when the blacks went into the kitchens to work, they would suppress okay. the whites. And There was, there was a territory. There was ground. Absolutely. And, it's and I was white and in the kitchen. And so uh, I pretty much found myself in one of those situations and this guy was massive bulking up on me and I was like oh god no I'm not this is not good there's no way out of this one and he uh he, he pushed me and got up on me and I seen his I seen that move and I and I swung and I hit him and um I was like oh no god this isn't good like I'd already made a vow not to use my fist anymore um and so uh, one of the leading gang members in, in that area came up to me and started swinging on me because the other guy did nothing. And then it was like I made him look weak, and now that can't happen. And I ended up going to the hole for that. And uh, one time I was in the hole a separate time. 
uh, it was for freaking out in the kitchen and they took me to the hole. And I, I remember thinking to myself in my mind, like it was over a female that was working in the kitchen, one of the, one of the hired staffs and you know, how she had lied to me. And, and I was freaking out and persecuting her in my mind. Like, Oh, you don't even know who I am. I'm this big, tough guy and whatnot. There's that tough guy attitude. And I, I remember I heard this voice that said, let it go in my mind and again when it spoke all the other ones was quiet i hadn't yet had deliverance so uh the second time i heard it he said let it go and i thought for a second it's like huh maybe maybe i will let the situation go and uh, no i can't let all them demons are like no you can't let you can't let her get away with this and it was like it was so loud in the hole everybody had just woke up and all of a sudden all of a sudden it was dead silent in the hole, everybody was dead silent, and I heard everybody, audible, not every, just the voices, not just in the your voices head. in my head. All the people that had been up and yelling and screaming, they all got dead silent, and I heard audibly with my ears, God say, "Let it go," and it like echoed, and it stayed silent in there from that point on. And I was like, I got up, I was looking around, I was like, somebody's messing with me, and it's like, okay, God, I know that's your voice. I will let it go. And I let it go. And as soon as I let it go, it was like this weight lifted off my shoulder and the guards came in and they got me and they took me out of the hole. So I, uh, at that point, I had went back to the hole for that fight I was just previously telling you about. And while I was in there, I was reading about uh, Elijah. And God had told me to go directly to that scripture. I heard his voice and I was questioning. I was like, God, did I hear your voice? Was that you? The doubt. And he, he sent me to the scripture about Elijah and how Elijah was in the cave waiting for the Lord. And it said that outside there was a great fire and that the Lord wasn't in the fire and that there was a great earthquake and the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then it said that but then there was a gentle whisper and the Lord was in the gentle whisper. That still small voice. That still small voice. And when I read that, I was like, okay, God, that is you. And so skipping forward, I had gotten out of the hole. Uh, and that there is a man there named Zachary Lawson that had came to Branchville and a history with him was I sold drugs to his family. And so like, I don't know for sure if he had heard of my name before, but I was thinking that he had, and we just did not get along in the County jail. And God had told me to go minister to that man. And I remember telling God, no, I will not minister to him. That guy is not worth it. And I told God, whatever you got to do, discipline me, do what you got to do. I am not yeah. talking to that guy. Uh, Sounds a little bit like a guy that got swallowed by a whale because he was running from God's uh, voice. All right. Got a little Joe name there. Similar story <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, about two weeks later, uh, Zachary Lawson had stolen uh, a pump out of the kitchen just to make tattoos with. And I wasn't there when it happened, but I was there earlier in the day before it happened. And they seen me on camera in that same area. And I had went to work and, and went back to my bunk. And as I was sitting there, uh, a bunch of guards came to me. And they, they got me up. They strip searched the entire bed, and I heard the Holy Spirit tell me, the Holy Spirit told me that they was looking for the motor that had gotten stolen and that Zachary Lawson had stolen it. And I was like, oh, no, this isn't good. And they took me in the back room, stripped me down naked, and had me uh, uh, squat and cough. And then they asked me, they said, where is it at? 
And I was like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like I'm in, I'm in, I'm in prison. It's snitching, snitches get stitches and uh, just violent people in there do horrible things. And, and so I was like, oh no, I do know though. The Holy Spirit just told me the truth. And I go back to my bunk and they start charging me with this case. And there, and I'm about to lose nine months, which means I have to be in there nine months longer, which wasn't, which wasn't the main issue for me. The main issue was, is I was innocent and I was mad. I was crying out to God. I was like, God, God, you know, I'm innocent in this. Like what is going on this here? This time I'm innocent. Yes. Yes. Uh, and he had me, God had me reading the Bible from front to back from Genesis to Revelations. And at this point in time, I was in Leviticus and Leviticus chapter, uh, is there a Bible in here? No, okay. that's a good point. I will, I'll pull it up on mine, but Leviticus chapter 5 was where I was at, and he kept telling me to reread Leviticus chapter 5. And so I kept reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it. I hadn't yet gotten to the New Testament, so I didn't know to ask for wisdom. I didn't know for any of that stuff. And, and I finally broke down, and I was like, okay, God, you got you to open my eyes because I have no clue what you want me to see here. And uh, so I prayed to him, and I read Leviticus chapter 5 one more time, and it was the very first verse. And this is what it says. It says, Then the Lord called to Moses, whoops, let me go to 5. It says, If someone sins by failing to testify when he hears a public charge about something he has witnessed, whether he has seen it or learned of it, he shall bear the inequity. How can that be any more specific for your case at yes. that moment? Uh, that was written for such a time as that. Yes, yes. So uh, when I when I read that and he revealed that to me, I was like, oh, no, I can't do this. God, I can't do this. And I stood on that for about a week. And, and then finally one night, Holy Spirit on me convicted me. I'm like, okay, God, I'll do it. Whatever you want me, I will do it. I'll tell on this dude. But you're going to have to teach me how to do it because I've never done it before. And so Holy Spirit came on me, and I wrote a page front and back full of scriptures from New Testament, Old Testament, explaining what it means to be a true child of God. And uh, at the end of it, it was a confession. Like, okay, Zachary Lawson did steal the motor. I am innocent. Um, and so I went in front of the, the little jury they had there, and I had I had, told, I had read this entire uh, um page front and back to them and I, I left them with the question well who do you serve do you serve yourself and satan or are you going to be a true child of god and then then i told him who who had done it and i go back to my bunk and uh, i get paperwork back a few days later and it had said that they'd still found me guilty of it but but get this so they found me guilty but I got my, my release date and they didn't give me nine more months they gave me back a little bit of time uh, and uh so Though I had gotten found guilty, I didn't bear the weight of the inequity, which is like symbolic for Jesus Christ taking 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 our sins, taking our sins. the punishment away. Uh, so uh, that had happened. Zachary Lawson didn't get in trouble for it. I end up getting out. But here's what I want to point out: is that God told me at the beginning of my bit, He was going to use my sinful nature to turn me into an honest child of God. And right there in that situation, he used my disobedience to turn me into an honest child of God. And so that was like one out of dozens and dozens of situations that had happened to me throughout prison. I have them all written down in in, uh, scriptures that go along with everything that had happened. But um, so that was 
that was the the main things that had happened to me while I was in there. Now I could go on and tell you, I see we're at 27 minutes. I go on yeah. and tell you stories about how there were gang members, uh, entire gangs uh, coming together to get me off the block. Cause I started testifying and telling people, if you don't want me to tell on you for what you're doing, don't do it around me. Cause I'm no longer lying for you or myself or anybody else. So anytime something would happen, they would automatically think, Oh, Daniel's a snitch. He, he did it. Uh, he told on us. And so there was times where like, I was in fear for my life in there. They were multiple I'm gangs sure. coming together to try to get me off the block or beat me up. And it was like this one instance, um, this one instance, it was, I knew what was about to happen. I was leaving the dorm for a church service, and I knew when I got back, I was getting jumped, and it was kicking me out of the dorm. And I started praying to God at the church service, like, God, help me. I, I need you in this situation. I can't do anything about this. And uh, I come back, and the entire situation was squashed, and the leading gang member in the dorm was sitting on my bunk telling me when I got back, hey, that situation, don't worry about it. It's dead. You keep doing what you're doing. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it was like stuff like that constantly happening. But uh, I got out. I did a year and seven months total. I got out, and I had absolutely um, I had nowhere to go. I had nothing to my name. And within a, a week, I, I read this scripture in Matthew chapter 5 that told me, uh, do not be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Uh, just focus on Jesus. And so I, I continued focusing on Jesus and, and learning. And I got into studying like Hebrew and Greek and getting into all that stuff. And I, as I left, I was like, okay, Lord, whatever you have for me, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And he sent me back to my hometown, Marion, Indiana. Uh, I stayed at the mission for a little while. And within seven days, I had a phone, I had clothes, I had I had some money in my pocket, and I had started working at a, at a factory called Hudamaki. And so making $12 an hour, I worked and uh, I started up a, a ministry at the Grant County Rescue Mission where uh, I was teaching people how to teach the Bible in a fun and animated way, to preach, to preach the Word of God on the streets more or less. Uh, and then went to Grace House, which is a sober living house. I stayed there for about a year uh, through that, I kind of learned the ins and outs of sober living and, and uh, legally how that looks. And, and about the time that I left, I, um, I, was, I was going through my step nine where God had me righting my wrongs. And so uh, repenting more or less of my sins. And this, this one that was really stuck out to me was a hard amends that I had done. And it was back in my addiction. I had I'd beaten my ex-wife up, stole her vehicle, and took it down to Alabama. It broke down, um, down in Alabama. I never made it back. I went to prison, and so the car sat for like two years. And, uh, and God told me I had to go down there, pick the vehicle up, bring it back up here, fix it up, and give it back to my ex-wife. And so I did. I picked it up, fixed it, and gave it back to her. And it was like on March 1st of 2021 was when I gave it back to her. The very next month... Uh, which goes along with the law of reaping what is sown. Uh, some people call it karma, uh, whatever whatever your taste of wording is. But uh, I had given her a car, and within one month, I had gotten a car. See, I'd been eight months without a vehicle. I was riding my bike around town and, and walking to wherever God was leading me to testify to people, to preach and evangelize. And so um, I got a vehicle uh, one month after that for like $14,000. I saved up $14,000 in eight months. And it was a brand new vehicle. It had 12,000 miles on it. It was 2018 Toyota RAV4 Hybrid. It's, it's outside now. And uh, I left Grace House. Um, but through that, 
spawned an organization called Disciple Christ Garage, uh, where uh, we fix people's vehicles at a very low cost. Uh, right now, it's like less than half a shop prices. We do we fix people's vehicles, and a lot of it is full service. Full service, yeah, full service. Um, and so uh, that spawned from me making that amends. Because after I fixed that beat up car, people was like, "No way, <laughs> this guy can work on cars." And um, and so some of the funds towards that ministry goes towards if people can't afford to fix their vehicles. Now, when I say this, and people hear, it, everybody's trying to get me to fix their vehicles for free. <laughs> I got, but that's you. just not possible. But some of the funds goes towards like if you have a widow or a single mother or a situation like that where somebody really can't afford fix their vehicles we have some funds for that and occasionally we donate the time and, and the parts for that um how many uh how many are involved with doc oh disciple christ uh ministries all together you're right yeah uh, yeah so there's there's four of us five of us in the garage if we count adam there's uh with the sober living houses there are there's four of us leaders there um and then yeah, so there would be what four plus five, nine, nine of us okay. now. Okay. Um, and all I'm gonna guess, correct me if I'm wrong, that the nine of you come from a similar background. Most of us, yeah. You know, not identical, but a similar yes. background where the drugs have taken over the addiction. You ended up incarcerated. You're battling with your own voices. I don't care who you are. We all battle with those voices, some of us in a way different than others. Absolutely, but yeah, yeah. You know, we think of that cartoon with the imp on one shoulder and the angel on the other. We're all the time hearing those voices. So here you are with this garage with four or five mechanics doing the good work of God through vehicles. A necessary thing for so yeah. many people and many who can't afford it, but you're able to do that. How long has that been? Yeah, so that started, running? that ministry started March 1st, 2021. Uh, when the when the first car was given, my ex wife when I gave her her car back, and then uh, and then we got organized a few months after that. The Lord led me to some board members, and I, I pulled some stuff together through the Lord's leading, and and uh, so it was just a few months after that that everything got finalized, and we got our five hundred one three C, um, yeah. And so after leaving Grace House, it was like a big part of my testimony is that it wasn't the medications. The medications didn't help me. It was Jesus. So, like back in uh, back when I was in prison, there was there was this. It was like as God would give me a truth, and I walked in obedience to that truth. That truth replaced a lie that I was believing in my belief system. And when that lie got out of my belief system, the demons which used the lies to strike me with fear to do what they wanted me to do no longer had power and authority in my life. And so the scripture tells us that light cannot have fellowship with darkness. And so as the light, the truth, and Jesus Christ, the word came into my heart through each situation, the demons had to flee. Each lie, a demon had to flee. And so they're hence uh, being cured of the schizophrenia 
being cured of you depression. You can't be cured of schizophrenia. That's what they say. <laughs> through Jesus. Through You're Jesus. living proof otherwise. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Through the power of Jesus Christ. Yes. So I no longer hear the voices uh, in here. Um, I no longer have depression. I no longer have anxiety. I no longer have any of those mental illnesses that I was diagnosed with. All that stuff went away. So mental illness can be cured too. All of it. He all can do it. it all. Is that what you're trying can, to tell me? He can me here, do it Daniel? all. Uh, yeah. Gosh, I had no. I had every idea. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Thanks. Uh, so I left uh, Grace House and I'd gotten this little um, this little apartment for like seven hundred bucks. And it was really the Lord leading me to it because I was a convicted felon, violently convicted felon, and I couldn't find a place nowhere. And the one place I find had everything that I needed. It had a two car garage, had had two bedrooms, living room. Uh, and it was a, it was kind of a good size facility. It has 3,200 square foot house, uh, built into like multiple sections for renting out. And, uh, one night the Holy Spirit came on me and at this point in time, it, it, Grace House had, had, the board had sold out to, uh, um, Cornerstone, which is, a, a I'm sure you guys have heard of Cornerstone over in Grant County. And my heart was really just kind of broken for the people because, uh, like I said before, it wasn't the medications that helped me. It was Jesus. And so it was like, where can guys go where it's just Jesus, where Jesus is the way? There's not, we're not pointing guys to other directions. Now, I've heard of stories of other people doing well in other directions, but it, for me, it's Jesus. And for I, a I lot of that. us, it's Jesus. I get and, that. And so the Holy Spirit prompted me to start a sober living house. And I was like, oh, man, all right, <laughs> let's do this. Uh, and so one night, it's like Holy Spirit came on me and outlined the, the, uh, the outline of the sober living house. I contacted the owner of the building that I was in, and he was all down for it. And he was like, you got the keys to the entire complex. Do what you need to do. And so I had this big complex working out of it. And uh, so that was kind of the start of, of Disciple Christ Sober Living and how it got started. And now we, we've got three houses uh, one of them pretty much full. The second one, which is the first, the original one, um, it's in stages now, stages one, two, three, and four. And guys in stages one and two um, are allowed to be on like MAT and medications. And then stages three and four is for a more intensive discipleship course where uh, the idea of it is for guys to come into stages one and two. And as we, through the Holy Spirit, help these guys get to a point in their faith to where they no longer need the medications, where they no longer need suboxins or methadone or, or anything like that. And then three and four would be the stages where they're no longer on uh, suboxone or methadone or any of that stuff right? where they can get into a deeper walk with Christ and, and, and really get into some good stuff. Um, but so that's kind of where we're at right now. I've recently, I've recently went uh, ministry full time. So I was working at that factory job up until this past year where I heard God tell me, uh, go ministry full time. And, and then I just, when he told me, uh, I struggled with it. And then one day I was just like, I can't, I can't work here no more. This can't is calling God otherwise. a liar. Yeah, so I left the factory job, and the Lord's just really been blessing it. We uh, got Adam here. We started a, up a construction business called Disciple Christ Construction, and that's been, what, the past two months now, and it's really it's really been blowing up. So, so. what 
What's next on the list? Have you seen yet what it is? Do you have a vision for yeah. that, or are you waiting yes. for delivery? Yeah. Go ahead. So the vision, the vision that the Lord has given me is to build a million-dollar construction company within the next one year uh, for a, a portion of those funds to go directly back into the recovery community for Disciple Christ Sober Living to be fully operational without me having to micromanage things. Um, so building up leaders, godly men and leaders uh, for the garage to come to a point to where uh, we have full-time paid staff uh, and and it'll be operational 24-7. Right now, it's only by schedule. Like, you have to schedule to get in there. Um, so that's that's the vision. And how, how can that possibly work? I mean, you spent X amount of years in prison. You've been through this net. You were an addict for X amount of time. You're a recovering addict now. How can that work? I bet there's only one word. Go ahead. Jesus. What is it? It's Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. It's through. It's, it's through being obedient of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Amen, buddy. Listen, let's close this. We've only got a minute here. Sounds good. Give us a quick answer to what you believe the meaning of the title of our podcast, Faith in Your Recovery. The meaning the of what, faith in recovery? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So my idea of faith in recovery is that we follow Jesus Christ through obedience of the Holy Spirit and follow the convictions. Let him refine us so that we can be completely transformed, as Romans 12, 2 says. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's faith in recovery. You can't do it without faith. There is no recovery without faith. You know, it sounds like you've rehearsed that, all right, but it's better than if you had. Thank you so much for your time here today, for joining us for sharing your story. I'm sure you've dropped a lot of encouragement, help, and hope on folks, and you've proven again addiction can be overcome. And the best path, if not the only path, is through Christ. Amen. God Amen. bless. Thanks for tuning in to Faith in Your Recovery.